iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Yo, technology, what is it all about? The biggest thing for us is we have to get people to buy into this idea that free speech, even speech we don't like, is acceptable. It's not, I mean, not acceptable, but what it is, is it's acceptable that people can actually say it, right? Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley, your weekly dispatch from behind the scenes and inside the minds of the top people in tech. I'm your host, Danny Fortson, the West Coast correspondent for the Sunday Times, and we have a uh, we have a thought provoking one for you this week. Uh, our guest is John Mates. That's not M A T E S; it's M A T Z or Z E, and he's the founder of Parlor, which is Best way to think of it is like a Twitter lookalike, but it has gained traction within a small kind of section of society, namely conservatives, right, far right, uh, extremist folks. I wanted to talk to mates because obviously we're at this very fraught time with the election coming as well as misinformation, disinformation, the way that ideas are being shared uh, and spread around online and how they're trickling out into the real world. And think about social media we've seen facebook and twitter and youtube get more aggressive in recent weeks and months with their decisions around what they allow and don't allow they banned QAnon. Uh, i think just this past week they put fact check labels on tweets from donald trump uh, and just this week facebook banned post denying holocaust and then there was this whole kerfuffle around the New York Post story on Hunter Biden, which both Facebook and Twitter tried to reduce the spread of without a real clear explanation uh, of why, of kind of the reasoning behind that. Um, now, this is all done broadly in the name of civility and safety and societal cohesion, but it all is just very, very messy. And it also begs the question, uh, what happens to those folks who get banned and are then just pushed out even further to the fringes by those decisions. Uh, now, many of them, as you will hear, end up on places like Parlor, uh, where, as we often talk about on this pod, they find their tribe and they can whip each other up into a lather, become even more isolated and more sure that what they are saying is right and true and what everybody else is saying is wrong and crazy. And maybe you think, great, the further away from those folks the better. Or maybe, like me, you worry that creating just effectively another filter bubble is worrying, um, especially when that filter bubble is populated by a lot of people with some unsettling, you know, dangerous ideas. And when I say dangerous, it's really dangerous to society and what kind of keeps people together and keeps people, you know, makes people get along 
and makes democracy work, things like this. But like it or not, that is what is playing out here. And as Congress seeks to crack down on the social media giants and they start to make more and more decisions about what is allowable on the platforms, it's unclear to me what the right answer is. It's just very, very difficult. And these questions are coming on more and more. It seems like every day there's a new post or viral tweet or something that really rears its head and people just, you know, it just all feels a bit random. And it's, it's unclear what the best way to deal with that is. And obviously, as you're about to hear, John Mates, the parlor, he has a very specific kind of extreme view of what is in and out of bounds. So that's a kind of a preview of the discussion you're about to hear. So with that, I will hand it over to John Mates, the founder and CEO of Parlor. Well, look, there's a lot to get to. Uh, I have a ton of questions. Perhaps it's worth just giving a, a sense of kind of like the background, like what you started this two years ago. How'd you start it? Why'd you start it? What were you doing before? And then we can get to kind of everything that's happening now. Okay. Well, we, it was Jared Thompson. He was my roommate in college. We also kind of ran a series of consulting firms after college together. I graduated the year before him. He wanted to do his master's. I didn't. So I went out and worked in the defense industry. I also worked, uh, you know, for Amazon Web Services for really brief stunt. My conclusions working for other companies was that I hated mm. it and I absolutely couldn't stand it. And I also couldn't stand really being stuck somewhere and having a routine. So I started a consulting company and built apps for people. And when I started the company, I didn't even know how to make an app. I just knew I had a computer science degree. I knew all the theory. And uh, my first client came to me and said, you know, John, this app doesn't work and we've spent millions of dollars on this consulting firm to do it. Can you fix it? And I went, well, uh, I, yeah, I can figure it out. No problem. And within a month I fixed all the problems, had it up in the app store, learned how to do everything. And then from there we started hiring out a team and I started getting more contracts. And eventually that led to parlor, which was, you know, I was sitting there going, I'm really upset with a lot of the censorship going on online. I think censorship, uh, a lot of the censorship that we saw at that time was really kind of, you know, everyone was like, no one wants to stand up for that guy. You know, it was a lot of the crazier mm. people who were getting banned. And uh, at that time, no one really seemed to care. I didn't necessarily care as much at the time, as much as the principle of people being banned and the direction that was heading. And that bothered me that this would lead to something bigger. And so we started, you know, actually creating this site to be a commenting platform, not a social media. A, com um, a commenting to... platform, what would that be? So, you know, when you go to like a media outlet mm -hmm. and you get in the comment sections because you, you just want to be, you want to vent or you want to say something, that is the comment platform. Yeah. All these media outlets don't actually build commenting platforms. They hire another company and they I come see. in and, and in exchange for offering them comments, they give them advertisements and they actually, it's really wrong in my opinion. They take a lot of data and they track right. people. And so we had a two-pronged approach, which was provide them comments and don't do creepy things with people's data. And so that was our business plan. Uh, and we wanted to do a lot of cross-site advertising and all sorts of other things without tracking. Very crowded market. We pivoted and became a social media when social media censorship became bigger and bigger and bigger problem. And we actually took the same idea of free speech and data privacy and applied it to a social media rather than a commenting platform. And when when did you make that switch? That would be probably September of 2018, you know, September, October. 
And uh, December of 2018 was our first viral moment. And that was a result of, uh, of, I guess, a conservative influencer who I happened to meet. They liked the look of the app. And after me telling them, please don't share this or tweet about it or tell anybody about it, it's not ready. They went ahead and well did exactly that. Uh, so <laughs> that's kind of how we got introduced to everybody. And who was the person who kind of put you on the map? Well, I wouldn't say that person put me on the, uh, put us on the map because we followed that event up with a lot of heavy marketing. Mm. That first viral event came from Candace Owens. Oh, I see. Um, but really that was, in my opinion, that, that event, that viral event did us a huge disservice in the long run because it started creating this idea that. Oh, anybody who joins Parlor, it crashed. And in 2018, it did crash. Right. <laughs> it was ran out of a data center in the back of my old warehouse that I rented uh, in the middle of a very sketchy part of Las Vegas. <laughs> so when you're looking at the kind of world of social media, was there one thing in particular where you like, I want to do, I want to kind of get involved here or I want to create an alternative or was it a, was it a drip drip or was there the banning of one person in particular where that made you kind of change what you were doing? Not necessarily. It was no like definite moment for me. It was, I could tell early on that it was happening and I could, I figured there's a good chance it's going to get worse, the censorship. And I think it happens to not just the right or not just the left. I think it happens to anybody who Twitter or you know Facebook or any of these other social companies, any of them, what they don't like, that's who they're going to go after. And at that time for me, it was more of a principled idea. And it still is, but you know, because I just like talking about things. It doesn't matter how taboo the subject is. I think everyone should get into the conversation and have their own realization a moment like, hey, this is why this is a controversial topic. This is why people believe this and figure it out for themselves through debate rather than it's censored and you're just told, don't question that. And so for me, it was the, I like to have the conversation mm-hmm. and I don't like that conversation limited. And so it was more of a principle. And how many thing. people are, are on the platform now? Uh, so we have uh, 4 million people, over 4 million. I haven't checked in about two weeks, so it could be right. more. It probably is a lot more. And uh, we continue to grow every every time, especially closer to this election, you know, and I think you guys are out of London, yeah. right? So for us, you've probably seen what's going on here in the United States. You're like, whoa, this is uh, like, stay away from this. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of crazy over there, which it is. And a lot of it is people feeling really like they don't know who to trust. They don't trust the mainstream media. Some people trust the mainstream media too much. Um, some people are looking to Facebook and Twitter because they don't trust the mainstream media, but they trust Facebook and Twitter. So there's this kind of weird mistrust, especially around the election. And now that things are heating up with the election, you know, a lot of these companies have said, you know, like Facebook and Twitter, which is why we launched twexit.com and we launched racebook.info. They said, you know, no one's going to be allowed to announce that they won the election. Neither Biden nor Trump is allowed to announce this. It has to come from Facebook or Twitter and their sources they right. like. Um, and so only when they feel comfortable, they're going to announce it. They also said they're going to do an ad ban right before the election. And they have said a whole lot of other things they're going to be doing here. And uh, so what I what I see is that people are going to get more fearful, more radical, and more crazy because they don't have access to the information they need to feel comfortable with what's going on. And so that's why you know we stepped in and said, we're going to do the Transparency 2020 pledge. We're not going to censor anybody. In fact, we'll help you know, we'll, we'll create a hashtag or we'll organize around this hashtag and say everyone's welcome to contribute any news about the election and, you know, make sure they have access to everything they need. 
And so, because I was looking on your uh, community guidelines, and it says you're trying to create, basically create a public square where everybody's welcome and can have a polite discussion about anything. Well, if they choose to be impolite, they can do that too. Right. Users probably are not going to keep. They they just will ban not ban you. They'll they'll all mass block you and mute you. And then you won't have anybody to talk to. Anymore. Well, so this is my question. I joined Parler just to, you know, I want to understand what it is mm-hmm. and who's on there and whatnot. And is this not just an echo chamber of the right? Just depends on who you follow. The largest accounts are definitely right-leaning figures. That's for sure. But I have a lot of liberal communities that I actually follow. So I see a good, healthy mix, but that's because I've opted into it and I've looked for it. So I saw, I think uh, something, I can't remember if it was an interview I saw or read, but you were saying you were like offering almost like a bounty to get some prominent left, you know, progressive, Democrat, whatever voices onto Mm -hmm. the platform. Have you managed to attract anybody like that yet? We didn't get any, like, what we call them gold badge on Parler. Uh, They would be the equivalent of your blue check mark on Twitter. But really what it is, is it's somebody, the way our pledge was that we were trying to attract somebody was somebody with like, I think it was 50 plus thousand followers on Twitter who had the check mark who would be willing to come in and have daily active debates or conversations with people. No one really, no one took up that offer, uh, at least during the time that we ran it. And for a few weeks afterwards, we're like, well, if someone still comes on, we'll still give them the bounty. Um, So it, it, it. I think a lot of people who are really partisan or a lot of people who describe themselves as hardcore progressives or even hardcore conservatives for that matter, if they describe themselves as hardcore anything and they are in a place that's being censored and curated the way they mm-hmm. want, they're not going to leave or risk it. I, I, I don't see it that way. The hyper-partisan people don't seem to, I don't know, it just it doesn't seem like the kind of debate that they would want to get involved in. So when I was looking on some of the people on Parler, you have the Proud Boys um, who Southern Poverty Law Center is called a hate group. Yeah, Southern Poverty Law Center calls everybody a hate group. <laughs> Do they? <laughs> they call a lot of people hate groups. Uh, they're very, in my opinion, I think they're a very partisan, a partisan group. They call, they call, uh, they call a religious affiliated groups that donate to children's uh, surgeries hate groups because they're Christian related. I mean, uh, dirt, you can, so I, I don't really want to get into the trenches though. I just don't like these labels that are from these sources or entities. Fine. But pr- I mean, the president, when prodded about, oh, you know, white nationalists, you know, he said Proud Boys. So you have the Proud Boys, you have people like Katie Hopkins, who's called compared immigrants to cockroaches. You have Miley, Milo Yiannopoulos, who's, I mean, he's kind of offended everybody under the sun. You, It does feel like you... Yes, including me, by the way. He's, he's He offends me, yeah. too. <laughs> But it does feel like there's not, at least as I'm, as far as I'm aware, any kind of prominent left-leaning voices. So it does feel like you're concentrating. It's like when you're talking about these hyper-partisan times, are you not just concentrating and whipping up into a lather all these people who are on one side of the spectrum to be even more partisan? And and isn't that not more dangerous compared to what you're actually well, what, to do? what would you do if you were them? Right. You've been banned from Facebook. Mm-hmm. You've been banned from Twitter. You're very angry. Right. Because you just got kicked off the Internet. You know, Chase Bank has now decided you no longer get a checking account. Stripe has banned you from processing credit cards. Google Ads has taken your income away. All of this all at once has happened to you. You know, what would you do? 
would you get more radical or would you say, gee, I think it's time to calm down? Well, so, but, so then that gets the question of the why. Mm-hmm. Why, you know, it's not like these bands that come out of nowhere. And I guess I'm just trying to understand like where the oh, limits they, are in terms of. So my, my opinion isn't that they come out of nowhere, right? I don't think they come out of nowhere. I think they, they come out of a very, like, they come from a, a biased background, right? They're unpopular. Mm-hmm. There's a group who I would call probably politically motivated that has labeled them as horrible or terrible or evil. And then everybody all at the same time has decided, oh, we don't want to be associated with that label. Let's get rid of them, right? So it it didn't come from nowhere, but it came from a political biased uh, background, in my opinion. But is there not a line here around just kind of societal cohesion and inciting violence or hatred from, from one group to another? If you could maybe perhaps explain how the site is governed, because I think you do things that are different than Twitter and Facebook, and I'm just trying to understand how how you, the site is governed. Well, it's it's really basic. It's really straightforward. It's what are the laws of the United States, and what are the laws regarding a town square or public discussion, right? Even if it's hateful, even if it's unpopular, even if it's a minority group, they're allowed to speak publicly in the United States. Even if they're, you know, not wanted, they're allowed to speak, right? They, their First Amendment right is preserved. The United States has gone as far to define hate speech as undefinable by not taking any cases that might attempt to define it. So hate speech in the United States doesn't exist from a legal standpoint, and there's no legality around it, which it's for good reason, because it's extremely arbitrary. And so what we've done is we've constructed rules around no fraud, no spamming, mm-hmm. no, no you know, unsolicited advertisements. You know, the idea that, uh, that it's a town square and then you'll be judged by a jury of your peers, as in we don't have moderators. So we don't have a few people sitting in our office who have a ban button mm-hmm. who actively go out and troll for posts. Or when you report it, they, they, they go, oh, I don't like this guy. Let's get rid of him. And our, our, our jury is diverse. It's people who've been on Parlor for a long time have shown that they understand the rules of Parlor, and it's a blind jury so that every time something gets reported, you have a quorum of people who vote on it uh, like a jury would in a court case. How big is that kind of how, – what is the quorum? How, how many people? It's a five-person quorum, and so four out of five have to agree it's a violation. Um, and of course, we monitor the performance of all of our jurors and compare them against one another in case somebody's kind of like, you know, most people, 70% of the content is, you know, not a violation, but this guy, only 10% is, that seems a little bit weird. Or this guy, like, like 99% is mm. a violation. So you're like, okay. So we monitor to make sure they're all very, you know, performing well. And uh, that's how it works, right? Everyone has a right to be judged by a jury before their peers. They're innocent before proven guilty. Everything that we have in the United States, that's what we offer the community. So to someone who's used to Facebook, where they say, oh, they wrote a hit piece, you know, saying how awful this this user account is. Well, if they reported the user account, it would go to the jury, a quorum of jurors would then decide if they deserve points for the content, they'd get points and it'd be gone. It's very clear, right? It's like the United States Supreme Court and our court system. And that's the goal. How often is content being removed? Well, we get thousands of reports a day and lots of decisions being made. And very frequently, the only exception to the jury system that we have is for extreme fraud, which uh, happens, unfortunately, on the Internet. What do you mean extreme fraud? Well, let's say that you create a media outlet. Mm -hmm. And uh, this was in the Daily Beast today, um, actually, we saw. 
uh, let's say you create a media outlet and you steal all of the content from a different company and then you, you put some clickbait title on it, people go to your site and on there, all you do is take people's data, track their location and serve them like 50 ads and make a bunch of money off of it. And you do it by using a parlor handle that looks like President Trump's, mm. right? So that is extreme fraud. And so those cases accumulate points through the jury system rapidly, come to our attention, and you know those things are taken care of. So those are, th- those are very specific cases. And so we worry more about integrity, privacy, than worry about moderating what people are talking about. Because generally speaking, if you get rid of the spam and you get rid of the fraud and you get rid of any illegal activity... Yeah. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. That's what our country was based on is discussion. So there's no kind of official position on, say, hate speech? No, there is none. And what about like misinformation, like anti-vaccine health misinformation, for example? Uh, no, we don't, we don't have any policy on any of that. And there's good reason, too. If you're kicked off the Internet, you can still go speak in a public town square about mm-hmm. it. You still have the opinion, right? Mm-hmm. You're still sharing that opinion with others. If you're not allowed to talk to anybody about it on the internet, what are the chances someone's going to confront you and say, hey, I think you're wrong? Slim to none, right? Mm -hmm. So how are you going to, how are these people going to be able to get access to information that might change their mind? And throughout history, I I posted an article about this the other day on Parler. I'd have to dig through my feed to find it. But throughout history, how many times have our experts been wrong? I'm not saying the anti-vaxxers, I'm by no means in that camp. This is... I'm transitioning to a new yeah. topic, but throughout history, they used to give babies heroin as cough syrup. You know, asbestos was viewed as a normal thing you can have on your ceiling, mm-hmm. right? And now it, we know it causes cancer. I was actually in a hotel that had asbestos on the ceiling the other day. <laughs> Not too comforting. So there's a lot of times throughout history, our experts have been wrong. And the only people who've proved it wrong has been through discussion and saying, hey, is this a good idea? Well, it might not be. It might be, you know. Just recently, the World Health Organization came out and said they don't recommend lockdowns as a primary treatment for the coronavirus. And Facebook and Twitter have been banning people for questioning the lockdowns. Now the experts have even backpedaled and changed their mind on this. So how much debate did they censor that could have led us to the same conclusion months ago without people being locked down in their homes? I mean, there's a lot of benefits that can come to having a public discussion both to correct what's wrong, but also to let the people who have these crazy ideas know, hey, maybe this isn't a good idea in the comments section, right? Just to finish up on the hate speech point, I was just, you mentioned, we're obviously the Times of London is who I work for, and I lived in London for many years, but now I'm actually back in California covering the tech industry out here. But in Europe, obviously due to its history and World War II and everything that, all the horrendous things that happened there, there are much more st- very clearly defined rules around hate speech because of that mm-hmm. very horrendous history. Do you not think that it is actually, mm-hmm. even if it's not by the letter of the law, there is not, you know, it's not defined here. Is there not a responsibility if you are the kind of, you know, hosting this giant town square to actually put in some kind of guardrails? I think that given the tremendous history of what's happened in those places and how horrible some of the things were, they should learn from authoritarian central points of power. Censoring people and telling them what they can and cannot say leads to those horrendous things. And a lot of people that I speak to, uh, and I think you're referring to World War II specifically, a lot of people that I speak to, especially some of our uh, investors who are prominent members of the Jewish community, 
they believe wholeheartedly that censorship will lead to another event like that. If you have a single point of power, an authoritarian, so say somebody at Facebook, let's say it's somebody at Twitter, or let's just say it's a benevolent dictator. Mm. If they can't censor the people, even if some people say some dumb things or some crazy things, if they can't censor the people and the people can speak freely, that dictator will never be able to assert authoritarian super control over people to the point where, you know, how radicalized, uh, let's say, Nazi Germany got in the 30s and, and uh, leading through World War II. If you can't have an unquestionable, you know, center of truth, it's really hard to get away with that. And so I think it's the exact opposite. I think Europe and all these countries are creating huge problems for themselves, especially when you get a lot of angry people the building up, you know, due to a lot of uh, Im immigration that's occurring in, in Germany and Austria, Italy, whatever. If they can't speak about it, they didn't just change their opinions. They still hold their opinions. But isn't it? They might but, get angry and, and you don't have any idea. But when you're talking about these kind of population level issues, are you not just helping fan the flames if you're, you know, kind of letting people say whatever they want and then it's kind of algorithmically amplified and everybody's, the people who believe these things are finding each other and whipping each other up? That is a dynamic that is happening online. Did, did you watch the Did you watch the Social Dilemma, the movie? I did not. I've talked to many uh, of those people, but I I know the gist of it. Well, some of the things I, I like some of the analogies that they have. Right. Mm -hmm. One of the analogies that they had is that there's these three guys in the back of a control room, and when you get onto your feed, they hit some button. They're like, "Oh, his attention's draining. Let's give him something hateful," yeah. and they throw it in the feed just to get their attention, to get them yeah. all hyped up on dopamine, and they continue reading. Right. I think of Facebook and Twitter just like that. And the reason they have a hate speech problem on Twitter and Facebook, because they are some of the most hateful places on the Internet. I don't know if you've ever looked up yes. hashtag kill and then put some kind of ethnic group or something on Twitter or something. It's just hundreds of thousands of nasty posts. But they have a lot of angry content. And so if they're reordering people's feed in order to keep people's attention and they're feeding them anything, even if it's hateful to keep their attention longer, they are acting as a publisher, they're curating content, and they're partially responsible for what's happening. Whereas what we've said is we're not going to change people's feed. There's no three dudes in the back room, right, yeah. curating the content to try to get you all hyped up. We're not doing that. You get exactly uh, your feed as um, chronological order, just as you would if you were you know, just browsing it the way you'd think it works, right? And so that helps out tremendously. Um, because if there is somebody that has an opinion that you don't that the algorithms think that you don't like, you're not going to get that filtered out. You're going to see people who disagree with you and people who disagree with you can get into the comment section and will discover your content, which I often get in debates every day on Parler with people I disagree with. Actually, those are my favorite conversations mm. on Parler are the ones with people I disagree with. To enjoy more of the latest news from Silicon Valley, subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times and get one month free. Search thetimes.co.uk forward slash Danny in the Valley so that they know I sent you. The train is now approaching. Junction at platform. Passengers. Airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Well, it's, it's interesting because I was just, I was kind of, you know, just going through the, the app and, you know, you f- follow people like, whatever, Sean Hannity or something. And then it mm-hmm. suggests a bunch of other people in that world. And I have yet mm-hmm. to be, come across anybody who is not right or far right. Mm-hmm. That's been suggested to me that I've, and I've, I've clicked on dozens and dozens now. And it's just more, it's just. Well, it the does... more you keep following people. So the way that the, the way the suggested users mm-hmm. work, it's based off of second degree connections of who the people you follow, follow. Mm. Um, that's all the suggested follows are. Now your feed is whoever you've followed organically being basically displayed to you yeah. in chronological order. Now, if you keep selecting that you want to follow far right people and or right leaning people, you're going to get more right leaning suggestions. But if you started and you followed, let's say somebody on the left, you'd get more left leaning suggestions as well. And I guess I was I was looking. I haven't found anybody yet who would kind of well, help it, lead me down that path. And I guess that's kind of my point is like it is a public square insofar as that like, as you say, anybody can come on here and say whatever the hell they want. But it does feel like it's a certain type of public square for a certain type of person and that it does feel like it can just be like a, an, a, an extreme echo chamber. That's how it appears. Yeah. The people in the community don't define the rules or the objective of the governing body as a whole, right? Like you can't say that parlor is therefore right-leaning because there are right-leaning people on it. It's just as absurd as saying uh, Twitter is right-leaning because there are users on Twitter that are sure. right-leaning. So it, the, the algorithms are neutral. I get more diverse suggestions of who to follow because I follow people in these different uh, liberal communities. Now, one of the things that would have been beneficial of having the liberal challenge go through, the progressive challenge, as we called it, would have been that you would have these big centers of people on the left. And so if you followed one of them, then you'd start getting more follow, you know, suggestions based yeah. off of that. And is that something that you guys are still working on or trying to kind of balance out? Yeah, but I think that's going to happen after the election because we got a lot of chaos right now with this election. And I don't, for, I don't really see anybody on either side with any of the two totem poles that people are building and with sticks yelling each other down, right? Nobody on either side is going to break out of their habits before the election. I think this is going to have to come after the election. And did you, when uh, Facebook, they banned QAnon, I think, uh, I think it was about a week ago. Did you get, because I know in the past you have received kind of rushes of signups after events. Was Mm -hmm. that another one where you saw a rush of signups? We saw a lot of people from the QAnon group come over uh, as a result. I can typically tell because we get a lot of all caps angry support messages when the QAnon people start coming over. <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, we saw an influx. And so that, again, that doesn't concern you given that it's been kind of, I think there was even something on the floor of Congress that labeled it a kind of dangerous conspiracy group. I mean, these are... No, not until the like if the FBI contacts us or it's illegal per the FBI, you know, that we would definitely do something about. But if it's just an unpopular group or a minority that no one wants to stand up for, then they can do whatever they want, right? As long as they're not doing anything illegal, it shouldn't affect us. Their vo- what they say and what they're doing doesn't affect me in any way, right? 
It's not changing my opinion. It's not changing your opinion. They just need a home to go to to talk. I, I don't really see the issue, um, really. Their, their speech isn't doing anything to you. What if they use your platform to organize in real, real life to do, I don't know, hurt somebody? Well, then they'd, then they'd get and they'd be gone, right? That's illegal activity. But they're not doing that, right? They're not they're not sitting there plotting to kill somebody. Everyone just says, "Hey, this group, you know, is potentially dangerous. Therefore, you guys should get rid of them." And I go, "Sure, why not? Uh, we don't like them anyway because they leave us angry support messages." I'm sure Facebook and Twitter didn't really care to get rid of that community because their support messages are nasty. Well, so it was really interesting on that on that point. So I was on a totally different story was um, up in Northern California covering the wildfires. And I've talked to some people who had just lost their homes. They're very upset, understandably, of course. And we were talking about just that experience and how horrible it was and what happens next. And then kind of the conversation just took this crazy left turn. And then they started talking about how the Democrats had lit these fires because it was arson because they hate Republicans. And then it was the Democrats are going to change the age of consent to four years old. As I was speaking to this guy in particular and a woman who then joined later, they're getting like really angry. Mm -hmm. And that to me felt like, oh, this is more than just people kind of talking online. This is moving into the real world and creating a really dangerous, divisive dynamic. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't think that's a result of social media and flaming people i think that's a result of the social i don't think it's a result of the the community within a social media i think that's a result of them being on a social media that has banned them people who have similar opinions right after the wildfire you'll notice during the wildfire when people were losing their homes because i remember that time it was Mm -hmm. a few weeks ago facebook and twitter said it's climate change and you're not allowed to question the source you know because they didn't say they didn't say this is climate change they just every post that talked about it, they slapped with an info, info, infographic or info source, back checking anybody who questioned the origin of the wildfires, saying, you know, you need to read about climate change. That that got hit by the those were labeled as kind of questionable or whatever whatever the label was. The climate change fact announcements came out at the exact same time as the wildfire um, was going on, right? Mm-hmm. Whether or not they're linked, the timing isn't good. And a lot of people on the conservative side of the aisle, because I, you know, I can see a lot of that content. I see both sides arguments on these things. The right saw that as, hey, um, they're fact checking us. They're trying to hide something for the left because they view Facebook and, uh, and, and Twitter as left leaning media outlet style social medias. That's how they view them. And so when they censor something, they view that as a leftist talking point right? They've been censored. That hardens their belief more. They then believe it to the point where they have no place to go. They've been told that, you know, they heard a rumor that it was spread by, you know, or Portland, Oregon protesters. Mm-hmm. And uh, now people are getting banned online. And so that just hardens their beliefs. They have nowhere to go, but vent to you uh, yeah. when you interview them. And they're angry. They just lost their house too. So that probably made the process even worse. And so you're not, con- you're not concerned about that dynamic, like, if Parler is playing even a small role and actually just kind of pushing people further apart. I don't think we're pushing oh, people further apart. You don't, I think you just actually, don't buy that as an argument, basically. No, I think that we're a lot calmer, to be honest. I've seen a lot of people in the comment section. Granted, I've, I've made some posts that really made people angry. I made some parlays that really pissed people off. Uh, 
when I when I parlayed in March that I wasn't voting for Trump and that I actually wasn't going to vote in the election, I pissed off a lot of people. Mm. Their initial reaction was, you know, you're a traitor, you're a Democrat. How dare you? And I'm like, this is my opinion. Uh, two days later, a lot of them even apologized to me. And, you know, the parlor community is primarily a big Trump audience uh, leaning into the election. They have no place to go. This is where they're going. I don't agree with a lot of them. Well, that's what's also weird. That idea which I think is really fascinating is this idea that like the mainstream media is kind of anti-Trump. It's pushing all of his supporters, you know, marginalizing them, et cetera. But like, if you look at what circulates on Facebook, like the most shared commented pieces are usually right and often far right pieces. And they're, most of them are still on all of these platforms. Most prominent people are still on these platforms. It's really these kind of fringe groups that have been pushed off. It's not really the fringe groups. There's a lot of, there's a lot of libertarians, centrist people. There's not all just MAGA, hardcore MAGA people that are on there. And it's not just all people on the right. So I, I, that's, not, that's not true. Right. And I, I guess the other thing is like Fox News is the most powerful news organization in the country. And that is couldn't be more MAGA if you tried. And it's kind of like this idea well, and, and, and here's a juxtaposition for you because you yeah. mentioned fox news yeah they did a, an article a few weeks ago about the iranian uh, what is it the armenian uh and the azerbaijan conflict i followed it pretty closely because it was very interesting to me i don't mm -hmm. like i'm as a pacifist i'm not I'm, I'm pretty much a pacifist for the most part in most cases and i was pretty you know vocal about this is horrible, right? Yeah. We need to not support. I like we can't support this war. We need to be vocal about this, right? Mm -hmm. This isn't good. You know, Fox News ran an article talking about it, and so I shared that article and I said, "How horrible is this? We need to do something, say something, anything to stop this conflict." I'm totally ad living, um, but that's generally the sentiment I wanted to convey. Mm -hmm. On Parler, it was, "Wow, this is so horrible. You know, this this could be another Armenian genocide. This is really bad for the people." You know, some people even went as far as we need to get involved, which is not what I was trying to say. Yeah. Um, other people, a few, but a very small minority of people said, you know, wow, uh, I'm not going to any war. They can deal with it themselves. Um, and I was like, well, that's kind of horrible, but I didn't really advocate for war, but I can see how they got misled. Yeah. I went on the Fox News article and Fox's comment section on that article was like a thousand comments of basically F them. They can F and die. We're yeah. not going to deal with it. And I'm like, that is some extreme stuff. I don't see that on Parler. Like the, the stuff that I saw in that article was horrendous. Mm. And so to say that we're like far right or crazy on Parler, that a lot of people are, it's just not true. I think that's what people kind of expected it to be because they've mm. been told you need to ban, you can't allow free speech. But that's just not what's materializing. Um, who, are you, who are your uh, investors? Well, we have one who's publicly disclosed himself. He's on Parlor. Jeffrey Warnick uh, is one of our strategic investors. I have no idea. You can idea follow him is. there. He he has a big Bitcoin advocate. He's a long-term investor for like the last 40 plus years. Um, I don't want to speak on his behalf, but you can follow him on Parlor. Uh, he has a red badge. He opted out of the gold badge. Um, gotcha. Even though I think he would qualify, but I think Dan Bongino is he is uh, is that how you say his name? Yes, he's he's a strategic uh, investor and partner as well. We have some more, but those are the two who wanted to be publicly known. As you know, as you're probably aware, if you come out and say, "Hey, I'm supporting free speech," everyone will just write things about you in the press. So it's not really for it's not really for the thin skin. <laughs> I, don't, I mean, I'm gonna have to disagree with that. I mean, if you're just saying I'm coming out supporting free speech, I don't think people are gonna be like, "No, that's horrendous." I think. Well, hate speech is free speech. 
and you're giving me a hard time about it. Yeah, but I just I think I think there's a general I think there's a legal a legalistic interpretation of that, and then there's the I, actual. I, I, I think then there's the actual just like practical. All right, that's should we really, you know, allow people to promote and scream from the mountaintops these really horrific things? Where, as I said, in other countries, it is actually against the law and for good reason because they've seen. Yeah, but what you that can't can control do. people. What are you going to do? No, if someone says the can. wrong thing, you're going to throw them in jail. I mean, it's kind of wrong, isn't that? It doesn't, that's not freedom. That's not free speech either. If you say the wrong thing, or you question the wrong thing, or you have an opinion that just doesn't align up with the state, you somehow have to go be punished for it. I mean, I've seen the videos of people being arrested in in uh, in Australia and the UK when they questioned uh, COVID or they said something quote unquote hateful. I mean, I watched a, a video of a mother who was arrested in her living room in front of her child by two police officers who said she said something hateful on Facebook. You're not going to change people's minds. People have opinions and you're going to arrest them in their living rooms for thinking the wrong thing. So five years from now, say we're 2020. Yeah. Five years from now or two years from now, what, like what is your aspiration or your goal for parlor? I don't know in terms of reach or where it is in society or just as a company, as a profit seeking entity. Well, we're not a we're not a nonprofit, right? So we yeah. want to, you know, we want to be profitable. But my big goal is to come up with an advertising strategy or a financially viable, scalable strategy that doesn't involve tracking people, tracking their behavior, doing any of this really creepy stuff that Facebook, Twitter, and Google seem to be getting a free pass for as long as they ban everybody that people don't like. They seem to be able to trade data, sell it. As many scandals that come up for Facebook and Twitter and Google, and everyone just looks the other way, we need a proper solution to this privacy issue. And I view that people's data is not just, that's not just a privacy issue, that's a property rights issue. That is their property. They own the data about themselves. And in exchange for getting a free feed of of information, Mm. their data is being traded around the internet and sold probably many times over without their consent. Uh, I mean, granted, they probably said, I accept your terms of service, but I don't really view that as consent for giving up your property. And what is your goal for the, like, you know, where your company sits in the kind of social media universe? I mean, do you want to be the next Twitter? Do you want to be bigger than Twitter? I mean, what 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 are you shooting for? No, Twitter's pretty small in the social media space. Yeah. I mean, objectively speaking, they're the smallest of of any of the big names. So I would want to, you know, we should really surpass them. And I think that there's a lot of opportunity to do so. But the biggest thing for us is we have to get people to buy into this idea that free speech, even speech we don't like, is acceptable. It's not, I mean, not acceptable, but what it is, is it's acceptable that people can actually say it, right? You can say whatever you'd like. We don't have to like it. We can disagree on it. But it's your right to say what you want. The second thing that I'd like to see people buy into is that, your data is your property and that no company is entitled to steal it from you, sell it to other people and use it to manipulate you and change your mind and change your opinions like Facebook, like Twitter, like Google all do. And it's awful what they're doing. And I think there's going to be huge repercussions uh, in the long run for society for what they're doing. And I think this hate speech argument is only a side effect. If they weren't curating content, and trying to purposefully manipulate people to buy things, mm-hmm. pur- purposefully manipulating people to keep their attention on their platform, 
If they weren't doing those things that anybody from a common sense situation would look at this and say, that's wrong. If they weren't doing that, I don't think we'd have nearly as many problems today with social media as we're having. And so my big thing is to come up with a way that we can scale out to billions of people, a platform that respects your data, respects it as your property, and treats people like people and not like users that are addicted. And just thinking about this as as we are, whatever, what, three three weeks and a few days, whatever it is, from the election, just so I understand totally clearly, on, on misinformation, political misinformation, I mean, is that kind of fair play? Like, or, or is there anything you would do to kind of... I, I, I think if you look at anything on politics, if anybody says that somebody who's making a statement politically, if they believe that isn't misinformation... They're the one who's being misguided because everything that comes out of most of these politicians is misinformation, in my opinion. I mean, they'll take a percent and they'll just use raw numbers. They'll use raw numbers and make it look like a percent to make their point. They'll leave out facts or they'll they're purposefully express something with some exaggeration. So the idea of misinformation is itself misinformation as far as you're concerned. Yeah, I think most of it's misinformation. Most of the stuff that you're seeing online. How many politicians have actually lived up to the things that they've claimed they would do? And who's fact-checking them after afterwards? So as far as I'm concerned, it's up to people to get as much information as possible. Many of it, much of it is misinformation. Recognize that there is, that everything you read isn't true, which everyone should be taught that. And, and be able to decide for themselves, hey, I think this, I believe this, and I believe that. Nobody should be an arbiter of truth for them because then they're just going to end up following somebody blindly. And right now we've got two sides in the United States. You have the left or the right. There's no, there's no place for people like me. I don't believe either side. I think they're both crazy. They're shouting at each other. They hate each other. So I was going to ask you, so I was going to guess you were libertarian, but I don't know if that's right. That is accurate. That's right. the closest thing to a label, I guess you could put on me. Yeah, it's kind of like a mob rule ish. It's not rotten. It's not mob rule. The idea is that you maximize people's liberties, freedoms, don't tell people what to do. I leave you alone, you leave me alone. And anything that we have for the law should just basically enforce the idea of I have my rights and my property, you have your rights and your property. Right. It would feel to me that you have to find, you have to do some work to kind of, if that's the goal, is to kind of create this actual town square is to get a broader cross-section of people as opposed to... We want to... more people, yeah. More information. More people talking with each other. Yeah. Do you have a strategy to actually get kind of people on the left, people in the middle, everybody involved? Or no? We're working on the left a bit. We're trying to get a strategy for that. We have a lot of people in the libertarian community. Um, they love the idea. Uh, we can get some more centrist people on board. But right now, I'm, I'm just with the election, everything's very difficult. And so post-election, we're going to have a whole new landscape to work with. And I think that we can attract more and more people. But right now, everybody's hunkered down in their Facebook or Twitter bunker or they're on Parler or they're on Reddit, wherever they are. They're sitting there in their bunker just lobbing, lobbing yeah. artillery over to the other side because they hate him so much. What happened when Katie Hopkins joined? Was that a boon for your user numbers? We, we saw a lot of people join when she joined, yes. I don't actually know that it was her who got us to join, but the people that she was friends with, I guess, that were also prominent influencers that remained online, they advocated to come over. Right. And so we did see a pretty decent influx. 
Our biggest problem with uh, international traffic, though, is that we're still very much U.S.-based. And so we're, we're pivoting to, to have a platform that can support multiple regions with multiple languages. And uh, if they want to cross regions, then they should be able to with their content, but be able to kind of keep them separate. And our, our two biggest problems are the Discover page and the, the user suggestion page that you brought up earlier. Yeah. And lastly, have you had any offers of funding or backing from prominent people as you have kind of gained a bit of notoriety? Have the uh, have the Koch brothers been in touch? <laughs> Not that I'm aware, but we get a lot of I get a lot of uh, LinkedIn mail from now on. Uh, ever since we started, uh, I think I've got like a couple thousand pending messages and requests. I just I stopped looking at them. Right. Um, well, look. Thank you very much for for taking the time to talk and. Um, yeah, I appreciate it. And we'll see how the next, uh, well, years go. I feel like uh, the election is only one point in time. We got to get through this. And I don't know as a country um, how we're going to handle it. People are really, really heated up on both sides. Indeed. Indeed. And that is all the time we have. I want to thank John for taking the time to chat. I want to thank you all for, for listening. I'd be interested to see... Uh, what you all think so you can find me on twitter at danny fortson you can email me at danny.fortson at sunday times.co.uk and yes you can even find me at parlor uh, i signed up to understand really kind of how it works who's there what they're saying at danny fortson there too anyhow hope you all stay safe stay sane take a moment stop give a rating and review to the pod obviously And uh, we will talk to you next week. Bye-bye. This podcast was brought to you thanks to the support of readers of The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today and get one month free at thetimes.co.uk forward slash Danny in the Valley. 